0: The state is the ultimate arbiter in every case of conflict that arises, including conflicts involving the state itself. Now, if you hear this type of definition, Uh, You immediately realize that this is a very unique type of institution. Just imagine that you get together with some friends and suggest that as a solution of social problems. In every case of conflict that I have with you, I will be the ultimate judge who is right and wrong, including also the cases of conflict that I start with you. this is why all states are interested in taxation. Hmm. We all know that if we have a conflict with the state that the state has actually caused, it is agents of the state that then decide whether they were right in hitting you on the head or they were not right, and you can predict, of course, what their decision by and large will be. taxation. If such a institution exists, and it does exist, then the consequence will be continuous expropriation and exploitation of property owners. So there is an alternative source of income to the state besides taxes and that is trying to gain control over the production of money itself. This This is why all states are interested in taxation. We all know that if we have a conflict with the state that the state has actually caused, it is agents of the state that then decide whether they were right in hitting me on the head or they were not right. And you can predict, of course, what their decision by and large will be.
1: Hey, it's Jose Galison. You're watching No Way Jose. You can find me on the No Way Jose YouTube channel, all the major audio podcasters in Odyssey as well. Uh, do you want to give credit again for those, those intros I'm using for these Hoppa series. Uh, that's Romero Synth. That's his YouTube channel. You can go find more of his stuff. There's a lot of other synth wave type stuff. Uh, a few other Hoppa ones, uh, which I'm pretty sure I've played pretty much all of them in the series already. But he also has like a cool Concila one and I don't know, maybe he'll make some more. So I uh, definitely go check out his stuff. know I sent you uh, today. I mean, you heard Hoppa. Uh, today, my guest is Toad. I would assume you know this by now if you're popping in because it's part 11. It'd be kind of weird if you're hopping in this point. But you know, whatever, if you are, we're, we're ready to have you. Uh, yeah, uh, this is, I do want to let you guys know the deal. If you're watching this on the 24th, then you are watching a live stream. Uh, and it is behind the paywall. This is for my patrons only, but it goes up roughly a week or so later. So, uh, whenever I end up putting this up. So if you're watching at that point, obviously it's not behind the paywall, you know that. Uh, but if you want to be able to get those paywall type stuff, patreon.com Snowy jose 2020 I do pretty much almost all my content like that, except for the rare uh, occasions and the four pony boys, the four pony boys series. Those will be live streams uh, pretty much always, but just about anything else will be, you know, barring, so I don't know, some current event thing or something, it'll be, it'll be paywalled. So if you want that, the lowest level is two bucks though. So it's pretty cheap, but you know, uh, if, if you don't want to do that, it's cool. And you know, just wait for it to come out. Uh, the highest level is 20 bucks. 20 bucks are my sponsors. Uh, my sponsors are Mikel Thorpe of the Expat Money Show. If you want to get the hell out of Dodge, he's your guy. Now have Jeremy who's an Etsy shop at etsy.com slash shop slash Raising Liberty. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeremy Rhymes. Also, I have Toad, my guest for today, uh, my guest for all of these. Uh, he is my co-host or one of my co-hosts uh, on uh, Tower Gang. Uh, if you guys haven't seen yet, we just had Clint and Top Lobster. Just was on TimCast recently. I'm actually going on on February 8th, so depending on this drops it should probably come out beforehand i think i'll probably drop this before that there's no reason why i wouldn't so uh yeah if you're seeing this one as public or if you're watching behind the paywall keep an eye out for that also just so you guys know february 9th reed coverdale right behind me me and my buddy will be there at the same time it'd be cool we'll be hang out it'd be a fun time uh cold and toad i'm sure they'll probably hop on later they said they uh are planning on doing so but they don't have a date yet so I don't know. we'll see uh i also have uh oh yeah uh toad can give his ads later so there's no reason to do all that today then i also have zach overracker at z-o-v-e-r-a-c-k is uh you can follow on twitter uh yeah uh do, do, do. yeah also toploves.com use jose at checkout for 10 percent off uh i think i'm trying to get him to make me a shirt for my TimCast one so keep an eye out for that it'll probably be in the no way jose collection on there whenever that comes out it should be a good one uh i'll let you know more when we get closer to it or after the fact uh but yeah definitely go check out his stuff he's got a lot of good merch got my merch got other shows merch Got stuff that's not show related uh, definitely go check him out uh use jose at checkout for 10 percent off With that let's go ahead and get toad in here and get the fuck into it what's up dude hell yeah what's going hell, on hell yeah man just got yeah. back from vacation um ready ready and raring to go um you missed out on a couple uh, i think what one or two tower gangs so um i'm um, I'm, yeah. I'm ready to get back into it for sure
2: um, it might have just been one, I think I don't know <laughs> no,
1: it may have been one it felt felt way too long, felt like too many. I had a fun time, but uh yeah, i got I got sick there at the end, it was a bitch, so uh, but I'm over it now, uh but yeah, I had a fun time in vacation it was uh, I missed my voice though I missed my voice,
2: <laughs> yeah, all right, you know. oh man,
1: yeah. <laughs> what what's up
2: pale as hell in this uh lighting this is ridiculous yeah Can i you?
1: don't know what happened maybe if it's the internet connection or what all of a sudden you got blurry maybe i got blurry it's always it's hard to tell whose connection got slow could have been mine i don't know uh, be Both. i could yeah, check. Be both. I don't know i mean if you're looking blurry to yourself and not and not and i'm not then it's probably a jerk.
2: <laughs> no I, yeah. I thought it was just a lighting thing
1: yeah well all right man you ready to get into this we're on chapter six on socialism and desocialization de- Yeah, is that where we're at? Yeah, that's where we're at. Page 121, for those who want to follow along. 121. um, Yep. All right. All right. Let's fucking do it. Hell yeah. Wealth can be brought into existence or increased in three and only three ways. By perceiving certain nature given things as scarce and actively bringing them into one's possession before anyone else has done so. Homesteading. By the way, this is just uh, standard libertarian, uh, you know, property theory that we'll be going through here. But a lot of people, don't. a lot of people don't even know it, so uh, this might be new for some of you guys. But by producing goods with the help of one's labor and such previously appropriate resources, or by acquiring a good through voluntary contractual transfer from a previous appropriator or producer. Acts of original appropriation turn something which no one had previously perceived as scarce into an income-providing asset. Acts of production are by their very nature aimed at the transformation of a less valuable asset into a more valuable one. And every contractual exchange concerns the exchange and redirection of specific assets from the hands of those who value their possession less to those who value them more. I think that, in my opinion, that last sentence right there I underlined because that's one thing I think a lot of people... I mean, I know i said like if we me and you probably or uh, or really a lot of the guys probably that are listening to this thing would understand the basic economics of this. But that I felt like that one's an important point that a lot of people don't get because a lot of people will be like, say stuff like, oh, I'm getting ripped off or this or that. And you're like, no, if you bought the product, that means at that point in time, you made a subjective decision that for whatever reason, you're. Uh, that product was worth more than the $10 you had to you. And that's why you were willing to give up those $10 for that item.
2: It's a a very simple concept, but I think it it really says a lot. Right. So value is subjective. Uh, So if two parties uh, both voluntarily agree to an exchange, uh, then uh, the assumption would be that both of those parties, uh, at least in their minds, subjectively, they value that thing that they're getting over the thing that they're getting up. So it's a mutually beneficial exchange,
1: at least at that point in time. Yes. Uh, And mutually beneficial may not be the way to put it because it may not bear out actually being mutually beneficial in reality, but at least at the point of the exchange, that is what you thought the case was. And barring some sort of case of fraud or something, then you at that point in time made an educated decision in your head that this thing was worth more than whatever other thing you had. It, 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 yes, you know, it's astoundingly simple, but it matters. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you My anything. less blurry, by the way. Uh, yeah, less blurry, but you're so weirdly bright. I don't know what happened. It wasn't like this before until we until we started. I don't know. Whatever. You're a, you're a glowing cue ball right now.
2: Uh, that's, that's right. Uh,
1: I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's your camera. All right, whatever. I, I think it is my camera. Yeah, people that are listening to this audio are like, shut the fuck up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Let's go.
1: <laughs> From this, it follows that socialism can only lead to impoverishment. First of all, under socialism, ownership of productive assets is assigned to a collective of, uh, of individuals regardless of each member's prior action or inaction relative to the owned assets. In effect, socialist ownership favors the non-homesteader, the non-producer, and the non-contractor and disadvantages homesteaders, producers, and contractors. Accordingly, there will be less original appropriation of natural resources whose scarcity is realized. There will be less production of new and less upkeep of old factors of production. And there will be less contracting for all of these activities involve costs under a regime of collective ownership. The cost of performing them is raised and that
2: of not performing them is lowered.
1: Do you have any thoughts on that one? Um.
2: Yeah. I mean, he's sort of, um, I mean, I, I think he's kind of, he's just defining socialism as collective ownership really. Right. So Right. So if you're, uh, you know, taking what everybody has essentially and making that owned by the collective, if you want to say that, then, uh, right, that's going to benefit uh, the people that don't actually own anything because now they're going to have a piece of something that they didn't have, and it's going to uh, detract from the people that did own something before because now they will own less.
1: Yep. Pretty standard stuff. Yeah. And he'll he'll get into more of what that means in later paragraphs. Because, uh, I mean, obviously, any socialist probably would be spurging right now. And, you know, but, it, it, you know, this is, it's, he's not really getting into as much of the specific reasons. You'll, you'll understand more going forward uh, if you don't already. All right. Second, since means of production cannot be sold under socialism, no market prices for factors of production exist. Without such prices, cost accounting is impossible. Inputs cannot be compared with outputs, and it is impossible to decide if their usage for a given purpose is worthwhile or leads to the squandering of scarce resources in the pursuit of projects with relatively little or no importance for consumers. Because he is not permitted to take offers from private individuals who might see an alternative way of using a given means of production, the socialist caretaker of capitalist goods does not know what his foregone opportunities are. Hence, permanent misallocations of product uh, production factors must ensue. Uh, do, 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 I had a thought. Uh, I mean, if you have anything, you can go now.
2: Well, uh, yeah. I mean, he's talking about the uh, socialist calculation problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, We're in uh, right. You sort of you remove the ability to uh, actually have the market be uh, creating prices mm-hmm. for goods at that point. So you actually, yeah, you can't really. Uh, Uh, I don't even know what the, what the phrase I'm looking for is. I'm losing my mind too, but. uh.
1: I mean, I think a good way to maybe put it is because the, the, the the line I made a point of earlier and the idea of like, uh, what was it? I mean, I'll I'll see if I can find the specific line. Uh, It says every concerns exchange, and redirection of specific assets from the hands of, hands of those who value your possession less to those who value them more. Now, if you're talking about individuals, now that's easy. It's super easy. If me and you are interacting and we have some sort of exchange, it's easy for me to make a decision. Is this thing worth more to this than me and vice versa or what have you. Now, if you get a group involved now, because the idea being is now this is a group thing. So now there's some sort of group that has to be like, we want this thing. And we're willing to give this up now. It has to become a collective decision or a group decision. Obviously, this gets in the weeds of well, how do we even you know determine what the group wants? It, mm-hmm. it just is way more inefficient, essentially, and and it will allow for you know like the example of the people who are just the essentially the non-producers or what have you in the group, the people who have you know gained more from this uh they are going to have a little bit different incentives they're going to have a little yeah. bit of a different idea of what this thing should be worth they also have not really put anything into this really in a sense so yeah it's, a, it's the idea of like hey should we give 10 billion to
2: ukraine and you're asking some dude on welfare it's kind of like, i don't care <laughs> well, yeah, i mean <laughs> yeah. essentially yeah like if you can't uh really price anything then you don't even know uh like what uh things you should be putting your resource resources toward to actually create. yeah, Right. Because you don't really know, like, uh, like what, uh, you can't determine like what the, uh, the, uh, the costs are anymore of things. Right. Yeah. So yeah, at that point, you're kind of like just totally in the dark and you Mm -hmm. won't really know what you're, uh, what you're doing there. And I think I was going to say at the end of the previous paragraph, he was also sort of, he was basically saying that, um, like, if you are a non owner uh, and, and things are going to become uh, collectivized, then you become dis. He's already said this before, but you become disincentivized from actually even producing anything because uh, it's essentially uh, your costs are going to be raised to produce anything. So,
1: yep. Third, even given some initial allocation, since input factors and the output produced are owned collectively, every single producer's incentive to increase the quality or quantity and slash or quality of his individual output is systematically diminished and his incentive to use input factors so as to avoid their over or underutilization is reduced. Instead, with gains and losses in the socialist firm's capital and sales account socialized instead of attributed to specific individual producers, Everyone's inclination toward laziness and negligence is systematically encouraged. Hence, an inferior quality and slash or quantity of goods will be produced and permanent capital consumption will ensue. Uh, the, the example that comes to my mind is I think everyone's probably heard, especially in this is in regards to, like, rape. I know, I'm sure we've all heard the example of that, that one horror story of the girl who was, like, raped in the middle of, I don't know where it was, some, some huge population. And a lot of people heard, they, they, they like, they, they, like they were looked out their windows, were kind of like, what is this? I don't remember the specific example. Someone probably out there knows. But the idea being is no one called the cops. No one did anything. And this is, in a high, like, a very high population area. And this is, I guess this is actually kind of a semi-common phenomenon that when there are more people and there is a, essentially an action that needs to be taken, like only one specific action needs to be taken. What happens in a group is a lot of times it diffuses the responsibility to where the idea is like, well, you know, like, I don't know, I'm sure someone else will do it. And if you're dealing with a group, especially dealing with like economics or, or what have you, or, or should we buy this thing or should we produce that thing? Um, it's, it's the kind of the idea of like, if you're in a, it's, everyone's been in a group project before where you, you just have, you pass off all the work to that one guy. Like, uh, I'm sure you were that guy, Toad. I just get that idea. But like, yeah. So, if, cause it's like, well, I mean, I don't need to do this. Someone else will do it. it it's just, it's almost in human nature. you like, you can't help it. So, you know, if you get it down to more individual and actually people have something to be gained from doing something. Or, you know, it it makes it
2: more likely that it actually gets done in in an efficient manner. Right. And he is also saying that um, because you can't, like, price anything anymore, you're going to be misallocating, uh, Mm. like, your resources. uh, And it's going to lead to sort of a permanent consumption of those resources because you're not getting it right.
1: Yeah. All right. Fourth, under a regime of private property, the person who owns a resource can determine independently of others what to do with it. If he wants to increase his wealth and or rise in social status, he can only do so by better serving the most urgent wants of voluntary consumers to the use he makes of his property. With collectively owned factors of production, collective decision-making mechanisms are required. Every decision as to what, how, and for whom to produce, how much to pay or charge, and whom to promote or demote is a political affair, Any disagreement must be settled by superimposing one person's will on another's view, and this invariably creates winners and losers. Hence, if one wants to climb the ladder under socialism, one must resort to one's political talents. It is not the ability to initiate, to work, and to respond to the needs of consumers that assures success. Rather, it is by means of persuasion, demagoguery, and intrigue through promises, bribes, and threats that one rises to the top. Needless to say, this politicization of society implied by any system of collective ownership contributes even more to impoverishment.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, again, he's sort of hammering on, um, well, sort of the uh, calculation problem, but uh, what was I thinking like two sentences ago? Um, I mean, this is like a group dynamic thing that we were kind of talking yeah, about yeah, earlier. So, this
1: is a thought that I had as well right. when I was thinking about this earlier, that, that this very idea right here, the, the right. idea that – if you're in a group as opposed to just one person being like, let's do this thing. Now you have to convince the group. Right. And so that creates, it brings in a whole different set of talents, which don't be wrong. That's a good talent to have, to be able to learn, to be able to convince groups to, you know, pursue certain endeavors. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, if you're trying to be efficient, efficient, it's also like the person who's able to encourage people to do certain endeavors. Isn't always going to be the guy uh, you know, he may have a different set of skills. He may not be the same guy who is also skilled at determining what actually is the correct course of action. He's just good at ginning up groups or what have you, you know? Yeah.
2: So. And he, he's, he's sort of uh he, he's kind of talking about uh, the, the issue with central planning here as well, because now you don't have like individual actors all, you know, with their, their preferences uh, being taken into account in the market. So you kind of know, uh, you know, what is actually being demanded and stuff. And instead uh, it relies on this like collective and you can't really get it right because like the whole group of people are not all going to want the same things. Yep. All right, man. Uh, Onto you. All right. The manifest bankruptcy of socialism all across Eastern Europe since the late 1980s, after some 70 years of social experimentation, provides a sad illustration of the validity of economic theory. What does the theory that long – what does the theory that long ago predicted this result as inevitable now imply regarding how Eastern Europe can rise most quickly from the ruins of socialism – since the ultimate cause of its economic misery is the collective ownership of factors of production, the solution and key to a prosperous future is privatization. Yet, how should socialized property be privatized?
1: All right. This is uh this this chapter is actually kind of interesting. I feel mm. like the uh the title is a little bit misleading because it says on socialism and desocialization. And right. you guys can see, because I mean I've been trying to read these ahead of time. I did read this one ahead of time. This one is literally laying out how essentially the praxis in a sense yeah. uh, that you would employ to uh, most effectively bring these to a free, to a, uh, I don't know, a, a free market or whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, these corrupted systems. And it's interesting because we're, we're about to go into like Eastern Europe, um, you know, and then he says in the late, uh, late 1980s, that specific one uh, kind of around like peak USSR type thing. Well, Maybe not peak, I don't know if that'd be peak, but you know what I mean. Uh, essentially socialist type shit. And he will then go into later uh, like other places that are, that are under different systems. I think I want to say it's actually the United States that he been, and it's kind of interesting how he applies different, uh, different methods to fix it. And it's just mm-hmm. an interesting thought experiment because obviously, like, I don't, I don't know if you'd ever actually be able to get anyone to go along with these on some sort of. I don't even, think, I don't even know if Hoppe yeah. is even saying that. I think it's just more of a thought experiment because mm-hmm. anyone who knows Hoppe's uh, prescribed praxis. He's not saying, "Hey, yeah, let's get the whole nation together and we'll just do this and we'll fix everything." Like, n- no, right? Like, he, he very much is a localism type guy. Uh, he doesn't think that'll actually work. So I don't, I don't think he's actually prescribing this, but he's saying like, if we were going to fix it, if, say somehow we could do a magic wand and what what right. actions would we need to do to be able to like rectify what's currently going on uh this is where he lays it out because you know we'll, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get into that like this socialize it kind of throws things off like say for example like socialism if you have completely taken away uh essentially property uh, you know the in a sense to where now it's socialized everyone owns it now how do you determine who gets the property what exactly like a mad dash for homesteading like what do we do like and he'll break it down here it's it's kind of interesting but so right the weird one
2: yeah right so yeah uh, yeah and in that one he's basically just saying yeah like we have basically observed that these uh socialist uh nations of eastern europe like all collapsed essentially due to that economic system and now the question is Like, what can they do? Uh, Like, we know that the answer, we actually know that the answer is uh, that everything should be privatized. But like in the real world here, what are we uh, about to do here now that we have all this property that has been socialized? Yeah. Like, what do we do with that property?
1: Like, what's the most fair and effective way to get this to a privatized uh, society of some sort? Because, yeah, because it is weird. Like, what do you do when theoretically the entire nation owns everything? Or, the entire group of people, or at least under this current conception, owns everything. Right. If the, you know, because I mean, obviously, we don't think that's a, a proper way to do it, but yeah. like, who, if technically everyone owns the factory, then okay, now we're going to a private system. Now, who owns the factory? Right. Is it really fair to just be like, well, whoever homesteads it first, like that That doesn't, I don't know if that right. really is the, the most fair way to go about it. Right. Uh, like, and he, he lays yeah, out good if- reasons why. I mean, that might be some people's instinct, but he, like, for example, he brings up a point like, like say it was some government facility and you were just the, the one security guard that manages it and nothing was going on with it uh is it fair for you know oh we're oh we're going to private society oh it's mine mine now right. like no this was a guy who was working for the state and right. he kind of had this unfair advantage you know due to his you know leeching off of you and yeah. now just got this property just like that because you turned into like a homestead situation yeah. and i'm Yeah. Yeah.
2: Pretty sure Hoppe is not going to say that we should now treat all of that property as just being unowned so that all of it is just homesteadable. And I'm pretty sure he's also not going to say that it should just be divided up equally amongst everybody. I don't think he's going to say either of those things. No. All right. uh, Let's keep going an elementary yet fundamental moral observation must precede the answer to this question since socialism cannot arise without the expropriation of assets originally created and owned by individual homesteaders producers and or contractors all socialist property ill-begotten from the very start should be forfeited no government even if freely elected can be considered the owner of any socialist property for a criminal's heir even if he, himself even if himself innocent does not become the legitimate owner of illegitimately, Ill, uh, of illegitimately acquired assets because of his personal innocence, he remains exempt from prosecution. But all of his inherited gains, inherited in quotes, must immediately revert to the original victims and their repossession of socialist property must take place without their being required to pay anything. In fact, to charge a victimized population a price for the reacquisition of what was originally its own would itself be a crime and would forever take away any innocence that a government previously might have had.
1: Yeah, I, I do want to bring up, uh, this is probably a good time to bring up something. I don't know, I guess, because I, I feel like a lot of people might hear that, and especially if you aren't super familiar with that, ec- like libertarian economic theory or whatever. Like, you may think, well, that just doesn't seem fair. Like, because, say, for example, if, uh, my dad stole property and then gave it to me and I didn't even know it. And then years later come to find out the rightful owner is like, yo, what the hell? Like, what do you do there? And it, according to our, our systems of beliefs, you would say, well, it needs to go back to the rightful owner. And that doesn't yeah. mean me, the person who got the property from my father did anything wrong. It's just the way it is. And I think a good example of this is be something like reparations because that's essentially kind of what that is. In theory, we're technically not against reparations. Now, if we're talking about something like slavery, you get in the weeds because it's, like, it's the idea of that like you need to actually prove that. You can't just collectively right. be like, oh, anyone with a dark skin tone gets reparations. It, right. it also needs to be like an actual legitimate and an individual level. Like, well, okay, well, what property was taken from you? Who yeah. has it now? And when you're talking about something that happened hundreds of years ago, it gets borderline impossible to be able to litigate and yeah, so you need there, to prove
2: it, that yeah. like chain of ownership. Yeah.
1: Yes. So, and, and that's essentially what this is, is saying is like it just because these people have the assets, whether they're innocent or not, does not mean that they get to then keep it, uh, you know, if, right. And so, and that's, right. that's, so, that's that's fair. I know it sounds, seems unfair in certain ways to, sometimes. Cause you're like, well, I didn't do anything wrong. And you're like, okay, but yeah, but it's
2: not yours. So, well <laughs> me, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. Because like, say, um, uh, you know, if you boil it down to more of like an individual uh, problem, like hypothetical here, like say some guy uh, like stole your wallet, and then he gave your wallet to some other guy, like should that guy be expected to uh, be able to keep that wallet? No, no. But, no, but like I think I know a lot of yours. people would
1: would think with it's just a confusing uh, thing that a lot of people don't think about. Yeah, like it's the it's the uh, yeah it's um it's the good example is the FTX stuff. Like uh, a lot of that stuff. Uh, Essentially, a lot of those people basically got their money stolen and that money went to like is particularly like Democratic Party type stuff. And I believe they actually straight up said, yeah, we're not giving the money back. And it's like that is a travesty. Like that's how that's supposed to work. Like you're supposed to do that. Like um, everyone's heard of like, you know, they'll be like, if you buy a gun from someone, you got to make sure it's not stolen because, you know, and the reason why is not just because I mean, to, to some extent, I think the government has gone nuts with like stuff like that to be able to like, you know, do gun law type stuff to be able to justify it. But that actually is because it's not your property. It's somebody else's. It's not actually because, you know, uh, like, if you buy a stolen gun, that doesn't mean you're like, well, I bought it fair and square, so it's mine now. Like, no, if someone's able to prove that that was stolen from them and somehow right. ended up in your possession, it's rightfully
2: theirs. So right. So he's saying, yeah, like they're probably it's probably not justifiable justifiable to punish that person, whereas it probably is mm-hmm. justifiable to somehow punish the person who did actually steal yes. it. Uh, but yeah, of course, in any case, uh, it is just to, uh allow the person whose property was taken to reacquire that property.
1: Yeah. And I've heard some, I don't remember who, but and I, I don't know if I initially agree, but I, I've heard people make cases uh, that, you know, if in that case, the person who, who ended up with the property may be entitled to some sort of recompense by the person who stole it or something like that. Cause you are kind of wasting people's time. I don't know the specifics of that. I've, I feel like I've heard somebody argue that before uh i'm not saying you'd be entitled to a lot but i mean you, you mean f-
2: like from the person who stole it you mean potentially like if yeah they like if yeah. if they were misled and yeah. they didn't know that it was stu- yeah i mean yeah yeah because i mean obviously here, they, but...
1: they, at the very least they're entitled to their money back like yeah you know so I, I don't know if they'd be entitled to anything more uh i mean that depends uh you kind of get into the weeds when you get into the specifics of stuff like that mm-hmm. i mean a lot of our our different uh even the people, the the good Austrians, a lot of them are differ a little bit on, on minutia like that.
2: But you know, point being is, you know, uh, it, it's not yours. But all right, let's keep right. going. Yeah, I mean, the other thing that he made me think of here is uh, when a government has already like seized that property from you, but then they're also making you pay for its usage. Like that is what they're doing now with like a whole bunch of things, like public transportation. They like, oh, go, you have to pay for a ticket for this thing that you're already being taxed to fund. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. so that, yeah, what he's mentioning there, just it happens all the time uh, in a, in a system of government. And of course, yeah, what he's going to be, uh, what he's alluding to here that he's probably going to be talking about is that, Hey, if we have a way of taking this uh property that the government has confiscated and somehow giving it back to the people that have like, you know, maybe the best claim to it, like the people that can sort of Almost, Maybe not necessarily prove, but maybe the people that have been stolen from by them the most, that maybe that might be the just solution here. Um. All right. More specifically, all original property titles should be recognized immediately, regardless of who presently owns them. Insofar as the claims of original private owners or their heirs clash with those of the current assets' users, the former should override the latter. Only if a current user can prove that an original owner heirs claim is illegitimate, that the title to the property in question had initially been acquired by coercive or fraudulent means, should a user's claim prevail, and should he be recognized as the legitimate owner?
1: Do right, yeah, uh, so, you have any thoughts on that one? Uh, it, it's kind of making it sound like... Um, if if it is a socialized asset, that it's essentially if you're someone who uses mm-hmm. it, you have a stronger claim to it of some sort. So I, I know that sounds right. a little bit commie to like our well, kind, but you got you got to take into account the current situation. Well, no, I <laughs> think he's
2: he's saying that uh, he's saying that if you if you have proof of original ownership, that yep. you have the best claim to that thing. The next best claim to that, I think this is what he's saying. The next best claim to that thing would be like the person who's currently maintaining that and that they would actually take precedence over the uh person who's saying they originally had a claim to it if their original claim to it was like fraudulent in some way like maybe it was confiscated and given to them yeah you know so if basically, if you can't prove like who the original owner is really, or it was obtained fraudulently, then it makes the most sense to give it to the person who's currently maintaining it and upkeeping it, right? Yeah. I believe he refers to it as like kind of like a
1: pseudo uh, syndicalism at some point. Cause I believe, I don't know a ton about syndicalism, but I believe that's, it's kind of like a form of, you know, socialism or some shit. But, it, but essentially, yeah. the point being is, you know, the farmers own the farms, the, uh, the, the, uh, I don't know, the, I, think of, I can't even think of another job. The The beekeepers own the, 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 the beekeeping areas or whatever the fuck. But the, So yeah. it sounds a little bit commie, but the, the idea is you're trying to get back to a system of private ownership. And yeah, the, the initial yeah. one may not be perfect, but it's we're in a spot essentially. In a certain sense, this is kind of like a de facto homesteading, if you will. Because it's like right. if you can't find the original one, well, okay, well, who's essentially kind of sort of homesteaded it already? So, you know, right.
2: Yeah. Or sort of like, you know, um, like I, I don't know. I'm thinking of like public schools right now. Like if that would be sort of an example, like the, people Oh, he gets who are... into that. He gets, yeah. into that. <laughs> I, I forget what he says about that, but I think yeah. he's about to actually get into that right now. But yep. yeah, like, right. should it go to the people that are currently like running that school? Yeah. Like, yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I don't remember exactly what he said. Oh yeah. I think he is about to see him. Yeah. Uh, all right. Regarding socialist property that is not reclaimed in this way, syndicalist ideas should be implemented. Oh, I think maybe I jumped ahead of myself a little bit. Uh, that is the ownership of assets should, be immediately, should immediately be transferred to those who use them, the farmland to the farmers, the factories to the workers, the streets to the street workers or the residents, the schools to the mm-hmm. teachers, the bureaus to the bureaucrats, and so on to break up the, the mostly over-socialized production conglomerates or socialist production conglomerates, the syndicalist principle should be applied to those production units in which a given individual's work is actually performed, i.e. to individual office buildings, schools, streets, or blocks of streets, factories, and farms. Unlike syndicalism, yet of the utmost importance... The property shares thus acquired should be freely tradable in a stock market and established so as to allow a separation of the functions of owner capitalists and non-owning employees and the smooth and continuous transfer of assets from less into more valuable or value productive hands. Right. Yep. Which is, uh yeah. So to, to break that down easily, I mean, I don't feel like it was that confusing, but just so people – know what's up? He's uh, just saying like those who actually use it. Like, you know, the, the farmers, the, the farmland goes to the farmers in this situation. Mm-hmm. It's obviously assuming the previous state was essentially socialism, where there wasn't a true owner that was, you know, we could readily be able to see now we're trying to figure out who gets to be the private owner and now obviously then you know people like me and you would think well okay well what the farmland to the farmers okay what yeah and he's saying the
2: factories to the workers You're like, yeah wait is he
1: calming now <laughs> yeah exactly but then you think like okay what do you mean like there's going to be say there's a hundred farmers in on this one farm like what they get to all right. own it and then he then breaks down the the, the 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 there at the end of the paragraph that essentially it's create like a uh a stock type system and yeah, so. which sounds it's a little bit clunky, but the idea is you can, he says you can trade and sell your stock. So then slowly right. those are going to go to, you know, people it's essentially making it a uh, it's privatizing it essentially. And it's, yeah, it'll, over time essentially, you know, be what it needs to be.
2: Right. I think his yeah. idea here is sort of like, kind of like set up a situation where you can let like the, The people who would naturally, like maybe the natural elites, like in Mm -hmm. that area, like let them, yeah, because wind up sort of like being like the owner. They're like, oh, these people are all farmers, so obviously they know how to farm. They'll swoop in
1: and likely want to buy some of that stock, and probably to keep you know the farm up, or you know whatever. If the farmers decide, hey, we know what we're doing here, and they value this, they'll hold on to that stock, and you know they'll you know. But, you know, if that's that say it starts to go downwards and they're, they're not really doing as well as they thought, then it's likely investors will jump in and be like, hey, I can fix this. I'll buy up your stock. Right. Exactly. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. So, yeah, it, so you're creating it,
2: that. Yeah. Stock markets. And so I have, yeah, like that incentive for like people that, uh, yeah, like know how to actually like own businesses and run businesses, like have them kind of come in and take over there. And then you sort of have he's basically talking about like allowing the reallocation of uh, like the labor resources uh, to mm-hmm. take place essentially and have people uh, go to like where they're best suited. Yep.
1: Two problems are connected with this privatization strategy. First, what is to be done in the case of newly elect- uh, erected structures, which according to the proposed scheme would be owned by their current productive users built on land. That is to revert to a different original owner. While it may appear, appear straightforward enough to award each current producer with an equal property value or property share, how many shares should go to the landowner? Structures in land cannot be physically separated. In terms of economic theory, there are absolutely specific uh, complementary production factors whose relative uh, contribution to their joint value product cannot be disentangled. In this case, there is no alternative but to bargain. This, contrary to the first impression that it might lead to permanent unresolvable conflict, should hardly cause many headaches, for invariably there are only two parties and strictly limited resources involved in any such dispute. Moreover, to find a quick mutually agreeable compromise is in both parties' interests, and if either party possesses a weaker bargaining position it is clearly the landowner because he cannot sell the land without the structures a structure owner's consent while they could dismantle the structure without needing the land owner's permission.
2: Yeah. That's um,
1: that's, I mean, that one's just, that's just a matter of, Hey, if we're in a situation to where uh, I don't know, the fucking factory is owned by one person or group of people or different people or whatever. And then the land's owned by someone else. What do you do? Uh, right. Cause you know, they, they, you kind of can't separate the two. I mean, buildings kind of have to exist on land until right. we develop technology that you can just float the building up in the air, <laughs> you know, and, uh, yeah. and I don't know, then we're probably talking about air rights at that point. I don't I don't know. But uh point being is it's a this current point in time you kind of can't separate the two. So what do you, what do you do in this situation? And he says he's kind of admitting here it's not perfect. You're but it's right. going to be between essentially two parties, so you're going to have to bargain. So you're going to have to figure something out. So Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, he's talking about yeah, the
2: like the landowners and I guess the like the, I don't know if he's saying like the workers who might now like like what who's who is he saying exactly who, or like, whoever owns the uh, whoever owns the, building the buildings of some yeah. sort whether it's you know because he broke down it could be
1: people a group of people have stocks to where they have like uh, you know a certain percentage of ownership amongst themselves right uh you know uh, or it could be you know, for who knows it depends on the structure and the and the the land really so uh yeah that, that so it's just the idea of you know coming to solve this conflict essentially yeah
2: and again like he was in the previous uh, paragraph where he's kind of you know wanted to set up a situation where these people are kind of gonna have to figure it out let's say that really that what that is is the free market yep like that would be the yeah the ideal situations yeah let the free market do its thing yep all right on to you all right. Uh, second, the syndicalist privatization strategy implies that produc- that producers in capital-intensive industries would have a relative advantage as compared to those in labor-intensive industries. The value of the property shares received by the former would exceed the wealth awarded to the latter, and this unequal distribution of wealth would require justification, or so it seems. In fact, such justification is readily available. Contrary to widespread liberal, i.e. social democratic beliefs, there is nothing ethically wrong with inequality. Indeed, the problem of privatizing formerly socialized property is almost perfectly analogous to that of establishing private property in a state of nature, i.e. when resources are previously unowned. In this situation, according to the central Lockean idea of natural rights, which coincides with most people's natural sense of justice, Private property is established through acts of homesteading by mixing one's labor with nature-given resources before anyone else has done so. Insofar as any differences between the quality of nature-given resources exist, as will surely be the case, the outcome generated by the homesteading ethic will be inequality rather than equality. The syndicalist privatization approach is merely the application of this homesteading principle to slightly change circumstances. The socialized factors of production are already homesteaded by particular individuals. Only their property right regarding particular production factors has been ignored so far, and all that would occur under the proposed scheme is that this unjustifiable situation would finally be rectified. Such rectification results in inequalities. If such rectification results in inequalities, this is no more unfair than the inequalities that would emerge under a regime of original unadulterated homesteading.
1: Yeah. I mean, just pointing out that like, Hey, some people might say there's inequality in the system. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's, it's kind of like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's, it's kind of,
2: it's kind of a long way of saying that. Uh, yep. although yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he was sort of talking about, yeah, like capital versus labor. Um,
1: yeah. Inequality exists whether you want to or not. So you know, it is what it is. You can fight it, but it's a silly fight. <laughs>
2: right. So, so yeah. you know, I think he was saying that like the capital intensive industries would wind up like getting more essentially, which kind of yeah. makes sense because they're like, like lower in the the chain. Like they produce the resources that others are going to wind up, you know, using. Yeah. Which um, is like,
1: okay. Yeah. There will be some businesses that do better than other businesses. Right. So, okay. Yeah. I mean, you I'm not your gonna, choice. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. Moreover, uh, oh, go ahead. What you gonna say? Well, I was going to
2: say, I don't know if I told, like, if he's saying that it's sort of uh, analogous to the homesteading. I don't know if I like hundred percent agree with that.
1: Oh, he was re- he was referring to his syndicalist, like, uh, you know, um, strategy of reverting this back. He he, he was kind of saying mm. it's sort of like a homesteading, which is kind of like what I said earlier. Like, obviously, I don't. Yeah. I think he did kind of allude to in there that he's not saying it's exactly. I think he's saying it's like kind right. of it's like kind of the closest approximation you can do under the circumstances. Right. Cause so, I, yeah. yeah. I
2: mean, cause even he is saying like, well, you know, you return it to the owners if you can prove who owns it. And you know, there are, there are certain people that have yep. better claim to things than others. If they are the ones who are, you know, actually like using and maintaining that property currently. And I mean, yeah.
1: If you think about it though, if yeah. you do revert like a factory to the workers, then that is essentially homesteading. Like, cause if you're in a system of, Social uh, socialism and no one right. truly owns it. It's a, it essentially just became in a certain sense property up for grabs. But now who gets that property for grabs? Who has already mixed their labor in with this? uh In with this, it's it's essentially it's the people working on it interesting, generally. yeah, yeah. So, you know, like it, it, I mean, it's a, it, obviously it's not exactly homesteading. It's a little bit different, uh you know, because it's a weird fucky situation. But it's 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 kind of similar, and I think that's kind of what he's saying. But, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Moreover, our syndicalist approach is economically more efficient than the only conceivable privatization alternative in line with the basic requirement of justice. Uh, The recognition that the government does not legitimately own the socialized economies, hence selling or auctioning it, it should be out of the question. According to the latter alternative, the entire population would receive equal shares in all of the country's assets, not reclaimed by an original expropriated owner. Aside from the questionable moral uh, quality of this policy, it would be extremely inefficient. For one thing, in order for such countrywide uh, distributed shares to become tradable property titles, they must specify to which particular resource they refer. Therefore, to implement this proposal, first, a complete inventory of all of the country's assets will be required, or at least an inventory of all its distinctly separable production units. Second, even if such an inventory were finally assembled, The owners would consist by and large of individuals who knew next to nothing about the assets they owned. In contrast, under the non-egalitarian syndicalist privatization scheme, no inventory is necessary. Furthermore, initial ownership comes to rest exclusively with individuals who, because of their productive involvement with the assets owned by them, are by and large best informed to make a, realist, a first realistic appraisal of such assets. Real quick, all he's saying is in this one is because he's, he's saying, well, he's essentially saying, hey, some people might think like, well, wouldn't it just be easy just to be like, all right, we'll let's take all of this and we'll just break it up individually, essentially do the the, the stock option yeah. for everything. Uh, we're all a certain percent owner and you can just buy and sell. Essentially that, that being a quick and easy way to privatize. He's like, no, that'd be a, a nightmare, a logistic nightmare you know and also it would be less efficient as well because you know you're just right kind of willy-nilly like now me and you would all of a sudden be like yep i own a shoe i own a 10 or one percent of a shoe factory right yeah but he's also saying it's (laughs)
2: immoral because like not everybody has an equal claim to everything so that as well yep yeah so yep and uh, yeah again like that's like pretty much like that would be like communizing things again yeah. basically so it doesn't yeah it doesn't make sense in any way it, it would be a weird communist
1: com, uh, communist privatization sort of scheme because mm. essentially you're saying like if we broke it down and you did the stock thing so it would s- yeah. essentially be coming privatized in, right. a, in an unfair way i don't know if I initially call it commie because then you could still spy and sell your shares and such and yeah yeah and, and, and in a sense eventually that would revert to a good you know running uh, system. It just wouldn't, not as good as the system that he offered. He's offering it with the whole, his whole syndicalist, yeah. syndicalist type thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, as, yeah. as opposed Again, to just an even sweep across the board, everyone gets this percentage, Uh, you know, sh- stock shares or, or whatever, you know? So, because, yeah. I mean, it, theoretically they work, it'd be a, in a certain sense, but it'd be a nightmare, Uh, you know, at least for a little while <laughs> until yeah. things even out. But yeah, uh, y- it would pretty much be the worst way to do it Um, again he's
2: yeah hammering on you know the fact that uh like equality doesn't exist essentially like trying to force uh equality uh into the Mm -hmm. equation here like that's not going to work Mm -hmm. and uh he also did mention that uh because all these assets are confiscated the government uh morally cannot uh benefit from having to get rid of all these things. Like they are not allowed to sell these things, right? And like make any money off of it or anything like that because they have stolen all of it. So that's also out of the question. Yep.
1: In conjunction with the privatization of all assets, according to the principles outlined, the government should adopt a private property constitution and declare it to be the immutable basic law for the entire country. This constitution should be extremely brief and lay down the following principles and terms as unambiguous as possible. Every person... Apart from being the sole, uh, uh, apart from being the sole owner of his physical body, has the right to employ his private property in any way he sees fit, so long as in do, so doing he does not uninvitedly change the physical integrity of another person's body or property. All interpersonal exchanges and all exchanges of property titles between private owners are to be voluntary these uh, rights of a person are absolute. Any person's infringement on them is subject to lawful prosecution by the victim of this infringement or his agent. And it's actionable in accordance with the principles of the proportionality of punishment and strict liability. And we don't really need to break that down too much. He's just saying, Hey, we, we should say, Hey, yeah. Fucking essentially anarcho capitalism. Right. You know?
2: Like as part of this privatization of everything, you are figuring out like who the private owners of these things are and you need to be able to maintain Yep. private ownership of things and yep. yeah
1: as implied this constitution then all existing wage and price controls all property regulations and licensing requirements and all import and export restri- uh, restrictions should be immediately abolished and complete a complete freedom of contract occupation trade and migration introduced subsequently the government now propertylish, should declare its own continued existence unconstitutional insofar as it depends on non-contractual Property acquisitions, that is taxation and abdicate. Obviously, once again, this is very clearly, as I said before, he's not saying this is like what could actually be done. He's just saying, like, if we were to do the most efficient way possible to to you know go move this to a private property society, how would we go about it? And in specifically in a socialist country, in a full-on socialist country, is what he's referring to. This is the way to do it. Uh, and in that last paragraph, I don't really not really much to add to it. He's just saying, hey, the government should,
2: you know, unalive itself. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Basically. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's realistic uh, that they will uh, actually yeah. do that. But, you know, may, maybe maybe yeah. in a situation where they have uh, like this or they've lost everything, like, you know, like they're they pretty much are just gone at that point. So, yeah. All right. Um, part three, the result of this complete abolition of socialism
1: and the establishment of a pure private property society and anarchy of private property owners regulated exclusively by private property law would be the quickest way to economic recovery for Eastern Europe. From yeah. the outset, by and large, the population would be amazingly rich, for although the economies of Eastern Europe are in shambles, the countries are not destroyed. Real estate values are high, and despite all of the capital consumption in the past, there are still massive amounts of capital goods in existence. With no government sector left and the entire national wealth in private hands, the people of Eastern Europe could could soon become objects of envy among their West European counterparts. All right, on to you.
2: Yeah, I'm just uh, trying to think of like yeah, when this book was written, like around 2000 or so. Like, which, like I, I don't know if he's talking about like the Balkans. I think
1: he specifically said 1980 Eastern Europe. So, oh, okay. So, okay. so yeah, so
2: he might be talking about yeah. So maybe still like kind of that area like Romania, like some of those countries that were formerly communist yeah
1: yeah yeah. i I think he was like or maybe he he
2: might he might just be talking about the former soviet states yeah yeah Yeah, i think that's
1: kind of like soviet maybe some of the other commies type stuff so he's talking about a full-on commie type place so there's not
2: like a that that, that's the that's the context of this yeah which like romania was and still like a lot of those like balkan states like yugoslavia basically was and that broke Mm -hmm. up and all the uh you know the soviet union obviously Mm -hmm. Kind of like a lot of that kind of happened around the same time. Yep. Uh, All right. Moreover, releasing factors of production from political control and handing them over to private individuals who are allowed to use them as they see fit, as long as they do not physically damage the resources owned by others provides the ultimate stimulus for future production with an unrestricted market for capital goods, rational cost accounting becomes possible with profits as well as losses individualized and reflected in an owner's capital and sales account, every single producer's incentive to increase the quantity and or quality of his output and to avoid any over or underutilization of his capital is maximized. In particular, the constitutional provision that only the physical integrity of property, not property values, be protected guarantees that every owner will undertake the greatest value-productive efforts, efforts to promote favorable changes in property values, and to prevent and counter any unfavorable ones, as might result from another person's actions regarding his property. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty
1: straightforward. It's just, hey, in a uh, Mm -hmm. private society, things will go better because you're operating Mm -hmm. under under, you know, proper, yeah. uh, you know, uh, individual or uh, private property type of uh, interactions.
2: Right. So it's right. kind of the
1: inverse of why he said socialism sucks earlier in this mm-hmm. chapter. Uh, it's the inverse yeah. is, well, you're now you're getting away from that. And so now, you know, you'll be able to have actual, you know, uh, individuals be able to make their own decisions about their property uh, to their yeah. own benefit or, you know, detriment. And, you
2: know, so. Well, will yeah, be a better... And, yeah. And you have prices. So you are, yes. uh, you are able to do that, like, uh, you know, risk analysis, the cost benefit analysis and figure out like the more optimal ways to produce the things that you're producing, you know, and yep. optimal resource usage and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, specifically the abolishment of all price controls eliminate almost instantaneously all present shortages and output would begin to increase immediately both quantitatively as well as qualitatively. Unemployment would drastically increase temporarily yet with flexible wage rates without collective bargaining and without unemployment sub ah, without unemployment subsidies it would quickly disappear. Initially, average wage rates would remain substantially below Western rates, but this too would soon change. Lured by comparatively low wages, by the fact that East Europeans will expectedly show a great need for cashing in, liquidating their newly acquired capital assets so as to finance their current consumption, and above all, by the fact that East Europe would be a no tax, free trade haven, large numbers of investors and huge amounts of capital would begin to flow in immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, don't I know mean, we can any. keep
1: going. I don't. I don't have much to add to that one.
2: <laughs> yeah. Just like obviously, like you know, you're going to have so you know a bunch of unemployment, uh, yeah. like at the outset there, just because you're shuffling things around in the economy and people have to figure out like where they're going to go mm-hmm. again. It's a big uh, but. Right. But that, you know, because you have all this uh, stuff that has uh, been returned to uh, private owners, like all the incentives are going to line up for people to uh, start being productive again and stuff like that. Mm. And he's even sort of talking about how, like, you know, it's going to incentivize uh, because they're going to be producing things. It's going to incentivize other countries and whatever to like trade with them as well. And it might even encourage migration into mm-hmm. these uh, new territories. And he, of course, you know, he's using East Europe as an example, as we said, if they were to do this, you know, if the place is freer, well, there you go. Like people are going to want to trade with them. People are going to want to move there, etc. cetera. Yep. Uh, the production of security of police protection and of a judicial system, which is usually assumed to lie outside the province of free markets and be the proper function of government would most likely be taken over by major Western insurance companies. Providing insurance for personal property, police action, the prevention and detection of crime, as well as the exaction of compensation, is in fact part of this industry's natural business. If it were not for governments preventing insurers from doing so and arrogating ag- and this task to itself, with all the usual and familiar inefficiencies resulting from such a monopolization, Likewise, being already in the business of arbitrating conflicts between claimants of competing insurers, insurance companies would naturally assume the function of a judicial system. Yeah, so a lot kind of in that small paragraph there that is like one of the major uh, yeah, he's points. wrote a whole book on this <laughs> yeah that Hoppen makes yeah probably more than one yeah he, yeah he writes about uh yeah private defense and stuff like yeah. that and what was that Bob,
1: private production of defense i think it's it is or? called the private production yeah.
2: private production of defense i'm pretty sure Yeah. there's Murphy, i think there's
1: an and in there somewhere and something else but i, I don't know Maybe. Might just defense be and security,
2: defense. maybe I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Um, I I,
1: re- I, li- I listened to that audiobook forever ago. It's a good one. It's a really good one. Yeah, yeah. much anything Hoppe does is good, but yeah. You know, so
2: <laughs> yeah, I have yeah. most of his uh, works uh, hard copy, like most of his books and small yeah. uh, writings and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah it's so a, it's a lot for one paragraph. You are right, although right. it is like also not a
1: lot. I mean, but if you understand what he's saying, because right. you know insurance right. companies, it would make sense if. Mm-hmm you insure your house, it would make sense that they do not want to lose their investment exactly. because, you know, or not their, inve- I guess in a sense, it's sort of well, an investment because you're paying them to insure it. Yeah. Uh, you know, if something happens to it, they have to pay for it. They don't want exactly. to pay that. So exactly. it's cheaper. If you have a $300,000 house and it only costs them, especially if they're able to like, you know, collect, I guess collectivize, but in a good way, Uh, you know, all the other homeowners and they're able to create some sort of security system in that relative area or whatever, you know, amongst other homeowners or, or whatever asset it is, uh, you know, it would make sense yeah. that they would be like, well, I don't, you know, like, I uh, do I really want to pay out $300,000 or whatever the thing is, you know, that they're going to, wow. I guess if I'm thinking houses, that'd probably be more things like I I don't know, like a fire department or something, maybe an insurance company would probably pr- provide of some sort, you know? Yeah. So. Uh-
2: yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it all kind of makes sense because like the incentives would line up and like Bob Murphy talks about this yeah. uh, a pretty decent amount as well. I think he talks about it in chaos theory mm-hmm. and yeah. maybe I forget yeah. and some other uh, some Probably. other things. He, he definitely does talk about it. And yeah, so like the insurance, uh, you know, because uh what they have to do is, you know, they're covering like your losses, uh, so they have to pay out if you lose something. They are also incentivized uh, to not want that to happen, to not want yourself to lose, so they're incentivized to want to uh, basically provide uh, security for those things, protection. Yeah. So it makes sense that maybe not the insurance company itself would be like doing that, but they might like work. Yeah, with, well, like, a even firm that even
1: something as simple, even something as simple. I'm I'm sure this is probably in Hoppe's book, and maybe even in Chaos they even something as simple as them requiring even for you as the homeowner or whatever the the person who has the the insured asset of whatever thing it even could be things as simple as hey we'll reduce your uh your uh your payment uh, your monthly payment or whatever if you have this security system or if you have this xyz so it, it creates incentive it, it essentially a causes the person themselves to essentially take on that role to some extent, but they would obviously take on, you know, more, you know, that role themselves as well, as opposed to incentivizing you do it, but it goes both ways. Right. So, you know, cause they want to protect their asset. So,
2: but all right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I don't know, like I was in my mind, I had like the health insurance uh, scheme that's going on right now, kind of in mind because like the incentives, there are almost reversed because uh, they, uh, like with the pre existing conditions thing where they have to like uh insure people that already have damage to what they're insuring, which in this case is their body. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like uh, this kind of uh takes those uh bad incentives and like reverses that whole thing, puts them yeah. all like in the yeah.
1: Yeah, the true like, free market, uh, makes health insurance them all correct, would incentivize you to be more healthy because you're like, Well, I don't want to pay more. <laughs> right. So uh, Cause they're going to definitely raise
2: my premium on a fat lard. So, yeah. you know, I mean,
1: it sucks, but don't be a fat lard. <laughs> yep. uh,
2: so yeah. So it's like, yeah, for the same reason that a, uh, uh, you know, home insurance is not going to want to uh, insure your house. That's currently on fire. It's kind of the same thing. Yep. All, All right. Uh, yet more important than the entrance of big business, such as insurance companies into the field of security production would be the influx of large numbers of small entrepreneurs in particular from Western Europe, Facing a heavy tax burden in the welfare states of Western Europe, as well as being stifled there by countless regulations, licensing requirements, labor protection laws, mandated working and shop opening hours, an unregulated private property economy in Eastern Europe would be an almost irresistible attraction." Soon, the large-scale influx of entrepreneurial talent and capital would begin to raise real wage rates, stimulate internal savings, and lead to, rapidly accelerating process of cap- lead to a rapidly accelerating process of capital accumulation. Rather than leaving the East, migration would quickly take place in the opposite direction, with increasing numbers of Western Europeans abandoning welfare socialism for the unlimited opportunities offered in the East finally faced with increasing losses of productive individuals which would put even more pressure on their welfare budgets the power elites of western europe would be forced to begin desocializing western europe as well yep yeah so that's pretty cool so kind of what i was already saying where you know if the eastern european countries were to do this and have free markets they would be incentivizing a lot of people and businesses to leave the more socialist countries for those countries and then you know it's sort of like what we talked about with the decentralization thing where you have smaller uh states that are kind of competing with each other and then it would actually force the socialist states to have to compete more and you know possibly uh eliminate some of their socialist policies in order to do that and in order to have businesses stay there and people stay there yeah
1: yeah that was something we were talking about in the secession chapter yeah that was a good one yep all right. Uh, postscript on privatization and welfare states. This is kind of how I was saying earlier how it'll be. Um, well, <laughs> he was specifically talking about socialism here. And I guess you could, I mean, yeah, it's funny because Hoppe would actually make the case these states are socialists as well. But he means right. he's meaning more in like a different degree, like a, you know, like a full on socialism in the other degree. And, yeah, but
2: all right, and a well, ton of footnotes in this chapter, and then yep. this page is all a footnote. It has one yep. sentence on it, like you said, not even a sentence. The sentence even doesn't finish. It, I mean. It's yeah. two lines,
1: and we'll move, the <laughs> sentence continues into the next page. That's how much. That's go. how much uh, footnotes are on this. We're not reading the foot footnotes, folks. we will be here forever. Yeah. Uh, plus, that'd be boring as hell. I've read them. Yeah. Well, it should be clear from the foregoing considerations why, from a moral as well as an economic point of view, the Western welfare states require As thorough a reform as the former socialist countries of Eastern Europe, it is important to note that the method of privatization must be different in both cases. The syndicalist privatization strategy proposed for formerly socialist countries applied, as will be recalled, only in such cases where no identifiable previously expropriated private owner or heir of socialized factors or production existed. If such an owner heir could be identified, then he should uh, uh, then he should be again installed as private owner. If and only if no such owner heir existed, could it be considered just to install the current and slash or past users of socialized production factors as their private owners, because they and only they have been an objectifiable, uh, intersubjectively ascertainable tie to these resources tie to these resources only they of all people have de facto homesteaded the factors of production in question. Thus only their ownership claim can be said to have any real objective foundation.
0: Uh, da, 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 da.
1: Yeah. I mean,
2: for? I, yeah, I'm, not yeah, I'm trying to figure out exactly what he's saying there. Cause I hadn't made that like, uh, like if he's making a differentiation there between the like dissolved sort of socialist states of Eastern Europe and, western europe if they were to like start privatizing their uh like government confiscated assets it sounds like he's actually just kind of
1: restating the previous in that yeah. paragraph what what he was talking about previously he's just restating it because yeah it like, is, i don't know word- why it would is, really
2: be different
1: yeah. he's it's worded weirdly because he is just saying in a. Uh, he's saying that essentially the syndicalist syndicalist privatization strategy proposed for blah 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 only in these cases essentially what he's saying is he's breaking it down again he's just he's just reframing it reframing the previous uh, strategy before uh, then going on to 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 state the next one uh, is what he's doing so that way it's kind of a refresher it's weirdly worded and it's confusing I, I, I remember when I read this earlier I think, like, last week, I had to, I had to reread it because it took me a second to fucking soak it in. It's weird. Yeah. All right. By the same token, it would be without any real foundation whatsoever and thus utterly indefensible from a moral point of view. Oh, I remember why. Because he's talking about welfare states and, like, or government ownership and stuff in general. So that's what he's getting at. And we kind of touched on this earlier, Uh, the the idea of, like, if it's, like, a government, uh, if it's, like, a, you know... Um, some uh fucking uh, someone who worked for the government, or whatever. I think I think he didn't mm. really go into that so much in a socialist site in this, you know, socialist scenario because theoretically everyone's a government worker in that situation. Mm. So I think that's why he didn't really make a differentiation. Whereas somewhere like here in the United States, it's a little bit different. You have like your your government employees or your or your people who exist off of uh taxes, you know, say welfare, uh, you know, it's a little bit different. And he's gonna get into that. All right. Yeah that, that okay. clears yeah. Up. that by the same token, it would be without any real foundation whatsoever and thus utterly indefensible from a moral point of view if private ownership and the publicly owned production factors of the mixed welfare state economies of the Western world were assigned to public sector employees.
2: Yeah, I get what uh, he's saying. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I.e., the so-called civil servants along the line of the syndicalist slogan, the public schools to teachers. See, because remember before he said schools to teachers. But this isn't a full-on socialist country, so it's right. a little bit different. You you kind of can't make this differentiation where you're like, well, you're a fucking public school teacher, and you're like, okay, but like everyone's a, t- it's a teacher is a public school teacher, so <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Um, um, just like anyone who was a worker was a you know a, a socialist worker or whatever. Yeah. Um, the the post office to the uh, to, 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 to the public schools the teachers the universities the professors the post office the postal workers the public land to the bureaucrats of the Bureau of Land Management, the courthouses and police stations, the judges and policemen, etc. Indeed, to do so would constitute nothing less than a moral outrage, even in the rather typical case where the public property in question is not the result of a prior expropriation of some formerly private owner of this property by means of the government's power of eminent domain, in which case the property should be simply returned to the original owner heir. Even in this case, all public property is still the result of some form of expropriation. And although though the proper identification of the victims of this expropriation is more difficult than in the clear-cut case of eminent domain, it is by no means impossible. In any case, it is obvious that civil servants are typically not among the victims. Mm-hmm. Hence... They of all people have the least well-founded claim to private ownership of this property. And this right. is the key point that he's getting at is why the syndicalist, the specific syndicalist strategy he he, mm-hmm. he put out before does not work uh, as well. The, there's almost like a caveat. And he he's, I mean, we get a little bit more left and we'll get into it. And that reason being mm-hmm. is because you have distinct like pu- uh, public sector employees in, in places like this. And then also private employees in in somewhere like the United
2: States. Yeah. That's why I was sort of like questioning it because it's like, you also have to take into account that, yeah, these, especially in a system like the United States, you have, uh, like all of these government, uh, employees, uh, like they're being paid with Mm -hmm. money that is stolen from you. So it's like, you know, are, are they actually the ones that have like the best claim to like some of this property? Well, probably not. Yeah. Um, Whereas in a
1: socialist country, everyone's being stolen from, and everyone's being given the money. It's just circulating around, so it's it's not the same issue. But go on. Right. Uh, All right. Uh, you want to take the last page, and if you have any yeah. more comments, you can add it. So.
2: Uh, publicly owned buildings and structures were all financed by taxes. And as far as undeveloped public land is concerned, it is the result of a public, i.e. tax funded and enforced policy, prohibiting the private appropriation and development of nature and natural resources. Hence it would appear that it is taxpayers in accordance with their amount of taxes paid who should be given title to public buildings and structures while undeveloped public lands simply should be opened up to private homesteading. Keep in mind that civil servants are not taxpayers, even though in public discourse, they frequently fancy themselves to be so. Rather, their net income is typically paid out of taxes paid by other individuals working in the private sector of the economy. Civil servants are tax consumers just as public welfare recipients are tax consumers rather than taxpayers. Hence civil servants as well as welfare recipients should be excluded from private ownership in formerly public buildings and structures. Both civil servants and welfare recipients live off of other people's tax payments. And it would add insult to injury if they, instead of those who had paid their salaries and handouts as well as the public buildings, and structures that they occupy and control should be awarded ownership of these buildings and structures as regards underdeveloped public land available for private homesteading activities every public land manager ranger etc should be excluded for a similar reason from homesteading land currently occupied and formally guarded by him against potential private developers he may be permitted to homestead other public land that is presently occupied and formerly guarded against private development by other government agents. But to allow him to homestead land he currently occupies would give him an, an advantage over other potential homesteaders that would be that would be manifestly unfair in light of the fact that it was he paid in this by nah, that it was he paid in this by taxpayers who had previously kept these taxpayers off and away from this land. Wow. Yep. Big uh, closing paragraph there. Uh, There's a lot
1: going on in that
2: paragraph, I would say. So that's, that's kind of what I remember of this uh, chapter that Hoppe was talking about. That's the more, you know, sort of like the U S type of situation, uh, like sort of the Western
0: democracy
2: situation where it's like, well, yeah, you have uh, people that are like the net, Uh, consumers of the tax money, which are the welfare recipients and the uh, government employees, like they don't have as much claim to all this stuff as the people that are actually paying for it and paying into it. Yeah.
1: And it sounds like he's saying too, in this, uh, he refers to them as welfare States, like what we have, uh, that essentially public land, public buildings and structures or whatever, like stuff that's, you know, technically owned by, you know, the people or the government or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. those should actually be uh, awarded to uh, like the title should be given to the taxpayers. Uh, and, you know, he says in accordance yes. with their amount of taxes paid, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I mean, obviously that would probably be a nightmare to do. So he's, he's not really prescribing the previous syndicalist strategy because we're in a different situation. Cause now it's, now it's not everyone's being stolen from to the same amount. Uh, some right. people are actually receiving or are, are receiving nothing but money from the government as opposed to putting anything in it's, right. it's a different, it's a different system and requires a different fix in his head to be the most fair uh, thing. Cause you know, as opposed to, you know uh, I don't know, someone like say, say the fire department, for example, as opposed to the firemen, then being the ones who get the individual you know, stocks like the option before, no, the, the option should be those who pay for it should get it. And, and you go from there.
2: Right. And yeah. if, you know, if you're like being forced to, you know, like pay like a school teacher salary or something like that, uh, like really, uh, what you should be doing is cause you know, like you might want to pay somebody uh, to be like a teacher for your kid anyway, but you should be able to choose who that is. And like, you don't, you're only gonna, going to going to want to pay for somebody to do that if they do a good job. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think he's kind of saying like, we got to go back in that like direction. So those, like those people who are actually the ones who pay uh, for those things, like they are uh, the ones who really should determine like how this is going to happen. Yep.
1: Well, all right, man, let's, uh, let's get the hell out of here. You want to go and drop your plugs? And we'll we'll scoot? I,
2: I was going to say one more okay. thing that he mentioned in there that I think is uh, an interesting point, a good point about the um, like who is actually a net uh, tax consumer where he Points mm-hmm. out that like government employees go, well, I pay my taxes too. Well, yeah, but they get paid in taxes and they get yeah. paid because they have to make an income. Obviously, they get they get paid more in taxes uh from other people than what they pay as yeah. taxes. So you could argue that they by in effect they don't pay taxes because they are a net yeah. no, tax receiver. So they don't. Receiver, they so. don't. Uh
1: right. I mean they do and they don't. It's actually I, I actually think uh, public employees shouldn't pay taxes it's like, why? It's just, it's like an annoying.
2: Yeah. Just, thing just that, reduce their salary instead. Yeah. <laughs>
1: reduce their salary. And you know, they don't have to pay taxes and to make things a lot easier. It also, I mean, I think it's done intentionally. Uh, it is uh,
2: because then they get to say, well, I'm,
1: I'm one of you. I pay my yep. taxes
2: just like yep. you do. Like that's yeah, I pretty can, much
1: why. Yeah. I contribute. And it's like, well, yeah, yeah, but that money was money from other people. Like even, even, even if you do buy into this whole government thing, it's, it is just silly when you think about it, you're like, well, yeah, okay, it, well then you can, like, if you're a, if you're a public sector employee, if you're a, uh, what do they call it? What's the term they use that kind of makes it sound nice. The, uh, uh public servant, if mm, you're a public servant, then why right. would you pay taxes?
2: Right. Like, and think it, about it. Like if taxes go up and, uh, you know, and those people are supposedly taxpayers, like they don't, I don't think they have to really worry about taxes going up because they're, um, salary is just going to go up uh, with some of that tax money. Right. So like, so I mean, they don't, yes have, they don't no. have, yeah, I mean, yes I mean, and no, it depends. I mean, I mean typically scenario, but you know what I'm getting yeah, at? Yeah. Like, yeah especially, yeah. Especially, especially like somebody that's justice. in like, yeah, especially somebody that's in like the federal government or something like that who claims to pay taxes. Like, yeah. no, like, you know, like maybe they technically pay taxes, but whatever, like whatever happens with that, if taxes increase, they're just going to increase their own uh, salaries, you know? So. All right, man. Let's get out of here. You want to go direct books? Yeah. Uh, Tower Gang Toad. I'm Toad. Uh, Tower Gang Toad on Twitter. I have my OG account back, and I switched the ad over. So now I'm back to a, a somewhat decent following, I guess. Uh, Tower Power Hour is the show that I do with Jose. and Tower with- Gang. Crap, now I did it. I did what you did. God, it's instinctive. Tower Gang is what it's called now. Yeah, wait, for Uh, those who
1: aren't aware, we we changed it at episode 100. We changed the Tower Gang, and I actually think, kind of glad we did. For one, it was like a changing of an era. Two, it's also like. And I have the shirt on this time, too. God
2: damn it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, for example, like, I don't know, it's better, it's better, uh, better branding. For example, like when uh, Clinton Top went on, uh, on Timcast, it said on the banner, it said, uh, Clinton top of tower gang. Whereas like, if it was like that would have been a nightmare. If it was like Clinton top of tower power hour, like it just
2: would be, it's a clusterfuck. So, but
1: I don't know, whatever. Uh, that's a, neither here nor yeah. there. It the bores people. Uh, yeah. Oh, I,
2: yeah. I was just going to mention, yeah, all of that. Yeah. So tower gang, uh, it's a show that, uh, both of, uh, we are Jose and I are two of the uh, many hosts of that. We do it with fat Dave, AKA Cole. And as you just mentioned, Clint from Liberty lockdown, Top Lobster uh, and sometimes Reed Coverdale. And we are the most offensive uh, podcast on the planet. We are every Wednesday night at 9 11 p.m. Eastern. We'll be on tomorrow night with another new episode. And we are um, making the runs uh, through Timcast right now. Clint and Top Lobster went on last week. So if you haven't checked that out, you can go find that episode. Uh, It was not uh, like a Tower Gang episode, but I still haven't uh, watched
1: the After Hours. Uh, I got the vibe that I still have to watch that too. Yeah, I, I, to I was told that. they were going to release it publicly, and I, I haven't seen it anywhere. I keep looking
2: for it. So I subscribe just so I can watch it. So I will, how much uh, you going to pay for that? Uh Minimum is ten a month. Ah, fuck! I don't want I ten know. bucks. All yeah, right, so uh, so I did it. Yeah, just so I'm doing it for the duration. It's Tyler of the Yankee, game. I know you're a patron, and I know you've done this
1: with other shows before. <laughs> <laughs> Go rip that from there. <laughs> yeah. I, I, <laughs>
2: uh, oh, Jose, are you saying that IP doesn't exist? Yeah. I no. Don't so <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, go. Uh, you guys can go check out check out the TimCast uh, episode uh, they did, and uh, Jose and Reed covered it, are, are both going to be on it in the next uh, couple of weeks? February, February
1: eighth and February 9th. I'm the eighth. Uh, Reed is the ninth. I believe on the seventh, I believe is Isabel Riley. So uh, that'll be what we'll be following
2: up. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that might be a decent. Well, you guys yeah. might get to hang out with her, and then you get to yeah. uh, show her up on the show. So there, you're, <laughs> there you <It's> just, go. <laughs> I mean, you
1: never know. It really is just a. I mean, as we saw with Clinton Top, it really is just you're at the mercy of what comes up. I, I mean, I have some plans in mind to try to redirect things where I want them to go, and i have some schemes but you know uh it's also like that may fall through so it may just
2: be whatever the hell the news
1: cycle is (laughs) who knows (laughs) uh
2: yeah yeah Yeah. so tim cast uh at least so far it's gone kind of the more uh like serious uh route but we're getting uh getting our faces out there getting the name out there and go subscribe to the tower gang patreon patreon.com tower gang pod all right, and uh, yeah, this I'm uh,
1: Jose. This is uh, this is a, this is no way, Jose. You can find me on YouTube, all the major auto podcasters' Odyssey as well. If you want to follow me on social media, I'm at Tower Gang Jose on uh, Twitter. That's I know I my at changed recently. It's the same one. I didn't get nuked again. I just changed it for build, for branding purposes. because Senor Jose, twenty twenty was just too much and i also didn't want to use tower gang before because i was worried i'd get nuked but i just felt like i was safe but i wasn't i didn't feel so safe to go full on like no way jose or, or jose Galison. so i just went tower gang jose and you know i'm still there i'm sure i'll get nuked eventually we'll see i don't know uh yeah but uh if you want to support me patreon.com just no way jose 2020 like share subscribe comment on all that good stuff appreciate everyone who watches this uh please uh please show out for the timcast support us let them know let them know yeah. you like that they're bringing us on tell cassandra she's doing a good job of booking all that good stuff oh yeah With that we are out peace